You know what it's like to be sitting in that chair, preparing for a, a conversation. Maybe it's something you need to ask of another person. Maybe it's a confrontation, hard words that need to be said. I don't know what it is, but I wonder if you've ever been there in that place, rehearsing, pacing, trying to figure out what to say, searching for the right words for a conversation that you do not want to have. If you've never been there, or if you've not been there in a while, let me tell you, it's terrifying. I still remember one night way back in high school, uh, I was driving home late. It was a Friday night. I'd stayed after school to help decorate for, for homecoming, and, and I was driving home, and, and I felt a little bit tired, but no more tired than, than usual. You know, a teenager isn't tired. And I was driving, and everything was going fine one minute, and, and then in the next moment, I'm not even sure what happened, but in the next moment, I heard a loud crash. And I, I snapped to attention, and I noticed there was broken glass all over my lap and all over the seat. Once I had come to attention, I realized what had happened. I dozed off. I'd fallen asleep. And, and what had happened while I was asleep in just a matter of a few seconds, and I don't even remember how it happened, was that I had drifted over on this two-lane road across the center line, and my, my driver's side mirror clipped a road sign. And that road sign knocked my mirror into my window so hard that the, the window broke and glass shattered all over my lap. And it was a good thing it happened, too, because 50 feet in front of me was a very big tree. And I know that if I were to play chicken with that tree, I would have lost. There's no question. And I got out of the car after I had stopped the car and, and tried to figure out what was going on. And I, my body was shaking and I was terrified. And, and I looked and to my surprise, the, the car was really okay. The mirror was fine. The only thing that had happened was that the, the window was broken. But I knew that I would not be able to hide that from my dad. <laughs> A broken driver's side window. And so I pulled myself together and I got back in the car and I cleaned off some of the glass and I, I, I started driving home and... And the 10 minutes that it took me to get home, I was doing just what you saw there. I was, I was rehearsing in my mind what I would say because I knew it was late. My dad would be in a dead sleep and I would have to wake him up and have a conversation that I didn't want to have. I remember rehearsing in my mind, just going over it. Dad, I've, something terrible has happened. And then I thought, no, 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 that, that'd be too extreme and that'll startle him and, he, and he'll get agitated and I shouldn't do it that way. I thought, well, I could play it cool. You know, Dad, the good news is I'm okay. <laughs> I thought, no, that might be too dismissive. Part of me just wanted to go in and say, Dad, I'm an idiot. I, and that would have been truthful, but I didn't have the ego strength to say it that way. I still remember what it was like walking into my parents' bedroom and gently waking my dad up to tell him that I was home, which was the custom and then after that, I, I honestly have no idea what I said. Because I started crying at just the emotion of the whole thing and, and the fear that I could have ended my life or hurt someone else and, and the fear of what my dad would say about a broken window on the car. It just all overwhelmed me and I have no idea what I said to him. I have no idea what he said back to me either. All I remember is that he seemed to show more concern for me than the car, which seemed like a good sign to me. 
And in fact, the next day we went and we got a new window for the car and he paid for it. He didn't make me pay for it. And, and, and everything was fine with that. But, but I learned a couple of valuable lessons through that whole awkward encounter. Uh, for starters, I learned the value of wakefulness when you're driving. And for those of you who are young, I do not want to underestimate that for you. That's really, really important. But I also learned something else. I learned how, how painful it can be, how, how scary it can be. I, I learned a great deal of compassion for people who are sitting in that chair over there with, with hands shaking and heart beating and sweat pouring off their forehead in preparation for a conversation that you simply do not want to have. And I hate to break it to you, but if you haven't had a lot of these in the course of your life, you will. They're certain to come. You will have all kinds of difficult, awkward, or high-stakes conversations. But if you're lucky, and I mean if, if you're really lucky, it could be that in the course of your life you've had this, or, or it may come for you someday, that you'll sit down in a situation like this. And it may be that, that the guy who puts himself here, the gal who puts himself here, the, the person with all the power and all of the resources to help you, it may be that, that you aren't sitting there thinking of, of how to approach them and to ask them for help. It may be that, that you sit down because they have asked you there, and before you can say a word, before you can start the conversation, they ask you an important question. And if you're really lucky, that question will be, how can I help you? I don't know if that's ever happened to you, that kind of conversation. It's truly powerful when someone whom you admire, respect, someone who's got resources or means sits you down and says, I would like to help you in some way. How can I do that? It's one of the most blessed conversations you can ever have, but it can also take you off guard. And tonight I want to go a little deeper in all of that because I want to share with you a real life story of a young man who had a conversation like that, not with any person, but with God himself, and it happened about 3,000 years ago. The young man's name was, was Solomon. And Solomon at the time, some people estimate, was, he was at the age of 12, according to some tradition. Others argue that he was a little bit older, that he was at the age of 20. Either way, he was still fairly young. And Solomon had just been made the king over all of Israel. He was the one who was chosen to follow his father David, who had been the greatest king in Israel's history. And Solomon had been selected to follow him at, at this very, very young age. And so you think about that. I mean, at, at somewhere between 12 and 20, being selected to be the king of a great nation. Suddenly, some of us sitting in this room are feeling very unaccomplished, aren't we? I mean, what have we accomplished in, in as much time or, or maybe much greater time? But Solomon, here he is, and, and uh, he's, been in, he's been made the king over all of Israel. And one night, God comes to him. We find out in another scripture, it's in a dream. But, but God comes to him, and, and, and he sits at his bedside, and, and he asks him a question. He makes Solomon an offer, which is just unthinkable for me, at least. And I'd love to share that with you. It comes from 2 Chronicles chapter 1. It said, that night, God appeared to Solomon and said to him, Ask for whatever you want me to give you. Just ask, Solomon, whatever you want me to give you, and it'll be yours. I mean, can you imagine? So again, here Solomon is, a young man, a, a new king. 
and he's got all of these resources at his disposal. Not only that, but he's got an important job that has been, has been appointed to him by his father David. He is, he is to be the king who will finally build a, a temple for God, a, a house for God. Up to that point, God had lived in a tent. And so Solomon has, has responsibility, but he's got resources. He's got everything. And here God, God himself, the God of all of heaven, I mean the most well-resourced person you can think of, sits down next to Solomon and says, Solomon, just ask me for one thing and I'll give it to you. And he could have asked for anything he wanted. Can you imagine what that would be like? I mean, this is a fairy tale. This is a dream come true. This is, you know, they write stories about this of genies and lamps who will grant us wishes. and, And this is what Solomon had, but it's not a fairy tale. It's not a story. It's real. It's true. It's actual. And I just got to ask you tonight, if that were you, what would you ask for? If tonight when you went home, if God came to your bedside and said, ask for whatever you want me to give you and I'll give it, what would you ask for? Would it be money? Or fame? Good looks? Would you ask for eternal youth? I know some of you are clever and you'd try to ask for a hundred more wishes, but I don't think that would work. What would you do if God offered you the same offer that he gave to Solomon? I mean, isn't it unthinkable to think that God actually did this in time for someone? He allowed someone to to make a wish and he promised that he would grant it? Seems incredible. It's, It's what we dream about. And yet, as I've thought about this, I think maybe not. Maybe... Maybe this isn't a dream. Maybe this, is, maybe this is more complicated than we think because for starters, how would you know what to ask for? Think about how much we have and think about all the choices that we have in our world today and how, how would you begin to know what to ask for? I, I, I mean, some of us struggle when someone in our household says, hey, let's go out to eat and we've got to pick from the hundred places on Manchester Road and, and we're overwhelmed and we get paralyzed by those choices. So, so, I mean, this kind of question, what's the one thing you want more than anything and I'll give it to you? Some of us would be absolutely paralyzed because there's so many choices for us. There's so many options. There's so many conflicting desires that we have. You know, do I want granite or quartz? Do I want an Audi or an Infinity? Do I want to go to the Caribbean or the South Pacific? We've got all of these things in our minds and, and it, it, would be, it would be torture for us to try to actually decide. I once heard a story uh, actually, the, the words of a, a guy named uh, Dick DeVos, I don't know if you know his name, he's one of the heirs of, of a company called Amway. Some of you have heard of that, some of you haven't. It's from a, a generation gone by. But Dick DeVos is, is a billionaire. His father started Amway. And I once heard him give a talk, he's a Christian man, I once heard him give a talk about how hard it is to raise kids when you're filthy rich. Now, I know some of you sitting in this room would say, I would like to try that, Dick DeVos. You know, I'd gladly share my struggles for yours. Because that sounds pretty easy, but, but he actually gave this talk and I thought it was compelling, it was interesting. He said it's difficult when you're, when you're wealthy and you're raising kids because there's nothing your kids can ask for that you actually can't afford. So the whole line of, hey, we can't afford that or not right now, it doesn't work when you're wealthy. He said, I've got the money to be able to give my kids whatever it is that they ask for. And so as a parent, it's difficult because I have to make a more compelling case. I have to be more intentional about explaining to my kids why they shouldn't have everything that they want. 
I mean, can you imagine, though, if, if God, who could give you anything that you wanted, came to you and said, whatever you want me to give you, just ask. I think it'd be scary. I think it'd be overwhelming. And then, of course, whatever you ask for, th- there would be the risk that, that even though it may be something you thought long and hard about, that, that maybe when you finally got it, maybe it wouldn't be as good as you thought, Right? I mean, we all know the story of King Midas, this guy who could touch things and, and it would turn to gold instantly and it sounded like a really great gift to have until he touched his daughter and she became a golden statue. Or we've seen in movies, there have been numerous movies, uh, this eternally youthful guy who is immortal, thinks that's great until he realizes that his true love doesn't have the same gift and he has to live for all of eternity without her. We see people asking for fame, and and we know that ultimate fame, even though it it brings some privilege, it also brings a total lack of solitude or privacy. I mean, what if the thing we ask for, what if it backfired on us, and we'd be responsible for asking for the wrong thing? See, part of me says this would be a dream come true if God showed up at my bedside and said, what is one thing you want? I'll give it to you. But part of me would be terrified. I wouldn't know what to ask for, and I'm afraid I might ask for the wrong thing. And I I bet the same had to be true for Solomon. At least it seems like it should. Why would he risk it? I mean, here he is, this young, successful guy. He's already got wealth and power, and he's he's got money, and he's got popularity, and We don't know if he was handsome, but you know the old saying that love is blind? Well, that goes double if you're a king. No one cares what you look like if you're a king. You can still have love. I mean, Solomon, he had it all. And so this couldn't have been an easy question for him to answer. And frankly, I think the same is true for us. You may not think of yourself so privileged as a king sitting here tonight, but the the reality is we've got so much. And we live in a world where we're allowed to have a million desires and yet very few true needs. What do any of us really need? Good grades? A chance to make the team? Getting a scholarship? What do we need? Do we we need a bigger house, a nice car? Nice try. I don't think you need that. What do you need? Someone to come in and pay off all your debt? Well, that would be nice, but... I have a hunch that if, if you're like most people, uh, someone paid off your debt, you just find a way to dig yourself back into the hole in no time, frankly. What do you need? Do you need healing? Do you need recovery? Do you need health? Well, even so, how, how long would that last before something else claimed your life, unless you want to be one of those people who lives forever, but I wouldn't advise it. What do you need? Some of you are sitting here tonight thinking, I need romance, I need love. And I think, how do you know you wouldn't be sick of them in three months or 12 years or whatever the case may be? So what I'm not saying is, I'm not saying this was a trick question from God. I I believe God was truly trying to give Solomon a gift. And yet, this is definitely not an easy question for anyone to answer. And I'm fairly certain the reason that God doesn't make a business of doing this, of showing up at our bedside and offering to grant any one wish we have, is because he knows we'd make an absolute mess of this if we had the chance. But surprisingly, Solomon doesn't make a mess of this. And maybe that's the reason that God knew that he could ask this question. Solomon doesn't take much time to ponder this. He doesn't get paralyzed by confusion. He knows right away what he needs. 
and it's not more of what he already has. He, he's prepared to ask for it. Look what, he, look what he asks for. Verse 8, it says, Solomon answered God, You have shown great kindness to David, my father, and you've made me king in his place. Now, Lord God, let your promise to my father David be confirmed, for you have made me king over a people who are as numerous as the dust of the earth. So here's what I ask for. Give me wisdom and knowledge that I may lead this people. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? You see what he asked for? He asked for wisdom. So let me get this straight. This guy could have anything in all of the world, anything, and God would give it to him. And he asks for wisdom? Boring, right? Are you kidding me? Wisdom? That's a problem with you church people. You don't know what to ask for. You don't know how to have a good time. See, I think most of us, you're sitting in Solomon's place, I, I don't believe this is what we would ask for. I don't. And yet this, this may seem so underrated to us, this idea of wisdom. We'd ask for world peace. We'd ask for health. We'd ask for wealth. Whatever. And yet wisdom, I, I don't know if we realize this, wisdom is the key to so many of the things that we truly long for in life. Proverbs 3 these are the words of Solomon as he grew older. And he learned some things from this whole encounter. And, and, and he talked about wisdom. And this is what he said. He said, blessed are those who find wisdom. See, blessed are those who find wisdom, not wealth, not money, not power, not success. Blessed are those who find wisdom, those who gain understanding. For she, wisdom, is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. So, so that's a word for those of you who are financially motivated in life. Solomon says there's something better than that. He says, she is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. Those of us who like nice things or objects of beauty or, or pre prefer art and gorgeous things, he says there's something better than that. He says, long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant ways and all her paths are peace. So if, if you're looking for long life and health or, or honor or esteem, if you're looking for peace and tranquility, Every Mother's Day, that's what my, my, my mom asked for from us. Just give me a day of peace. She never got it from us. Solomon says, there's another way to get that. He says, for wisdom is a tree of life to those who take hold of her. Those who hold her fast will be blessed. Not bad for a 12-year-old or a 20-year-old or however old he was to ask for wisdom. And see, if I had one wish tonight, how I wish that all of us in this place tonight would pursue this for ourselves. Wisdom. I, I wish we'd pursue it not only for ourselves, but for our kids, or for our grandkids, or for our friends, or, or, or for whoever it is that matters to us in life. That, that we would pursue wisdom more than anything else, instead of worrying about popularity and reputation, and, and wondering what everyone thinks about us, and being obsessed about that, and lying awake at night worrying about that. I wish instead we'd pursue wisdom. Or instead of sitting around planning for how financially successful we can be, what, what if we pursued wisdom with even greater diligence? You know, instead of chasing our kids around from club sport to club sport to activity to activity and, and sitting awake with them until 10 o'clock at night while they do their homework so they can be the brightest and the best and that they might somehow impossibly get drafted into a, a pro team someday and, and make us proud. What if we pursued wisdom and challenged our kids to do the same? 
Instead of working so hard in our careers, working so hard that we work ourselves into loneliness or an early grave, what if we work that hard at finding wisdom? Or instead of chasing after status symbols, the trophies that we use to measure ourselves against other people, what, what if we pursued wisdom? See, I think the truth for most of us in this room is that, is that we're chasing all of those things to varying levels, and we are wearing ourselves out. Because there's so much to have in life, and there's so much to claim for ourselves. And yet we can't do it all, and so we're weary, we're tired, and how I wish we would ask for the one thing that opens doors to everything else. Wisdom. See, Solomon was on to something, and so God appears at his bedside and says, Solomon, I will give you anything you ask for. And he says, you've already given me so much, and here I am and following in my father's footsteps, and all I ask is that you would help me be wise. And listen to what God says back to him. God said to Solomon, since this is your heart's desire and you have not asked for wealth or possessions or honor, you have not asked for the death of your enemies, since you have not asked for long life, but instead because you've asked for wisdom and knowledge to govern my people over whom I've made you king, therefore wisdom and knowledge will be given to you and I will also give you wealth and possessions, and honor, such as no king was before you ever had, and none after you will ever have. See, at 12 or 20, Solomon figured out that there are worse things to ask for than wisdom. Tonight, I want to ask you, what is it that you're asking for, really? What is it that you're pursuing, in the times that you lift up prayers to God, what, what, what is it that you fill your prayer life with? As you look out the window in the middle of the day and you daydream, what, what are you dreaming about? For those of you who are parents and you still have kids in your home, as you look at your kids and, and you plan for their future, what, what do those plans look like for them? What is it that fills your mind and heart? What are you asking God for? What are you pursuing How about, instead of whatever it is that you're asking for, whatever it is that you're praying about, how about asking God for wisdom? Because you see, it's the key to everything else. There are two things I need to tell you if you want wisdom in your life. Two important truths that you need to hold on to. The first is this, that God wants to give you wisdom if you just ask for it. See, this is unlike so many other things that we want in life, things that we seek, that, that we, we hope we'll get, that we'll never get. You can pray all day long that you can look like Ariana Grande. Guess what? It's probably not going to happen for you. But, but wisdom, God will give you that. You can pray that your kid's going to grow up to be an NBA star, or that's going to be your reality, or that you're going to be the next David Fries and, and make it into the big leagues and get a $6 million contract, and that might be good, but... I don't know that God's going to give you that, but there's one thing you can count on God giving you, and that is, that is wisdom. I, I want you to hear what James, the brother of Jesus, said. He said, if any of you lacks wisdom, and I guess that's where we need some humility here to acknowledge that we do. We lack wisdom, and we're not even seeking it. And yet, here's what he says. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God. You, you should do that. The God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. 
Do you hear that? Do you hear how, how sure that promise is? That if you ask God for wisdom, unlike so many other things in life that you can ask for that you may never get, that if you ask for wisdom, God will give it to you? And then the other thing I have to tell you, more than just asking for it, and that's the first thing, if you want wisdom, ask for it. God will give it to you more than that. If you really want wisdom in your life and all the things that wisdom brings, then here's what you need to do. You need to pursue Jesus more than anything else. And I mean that. More than grades, more than making the team, more than riches, more than status, more than financial security, more than romance, more than a great job. Pursue Jesus. And and here's why. Here's why. It's because Jesus is wisdom personified. Jesus is wisdom made flesh. It says it in John's gospel that, that the word, the logos was made flesh, but it doesn't just mean the word. It means, it means the wisdom of God, the knowledge of God was put on this earth in flesh. So that unlike Solomon, even though we don't have God sitting at this corner of our bed offering to give us anything, God has delivered Jesus onto this planet and he's put Jesus into this room tonight. And anyone who wants to pursue him can have him. And and with Jesus comes wisdom. He is wisdom. But but here's what concerns me about us. Even though you kind of know that's true, here's what breaks my heart and concerns me about all of us sitting in this room. That we all have so many other pursuits in life that Jesus is just one pursuit among many. And frankly, for most of us, he falls way down our list. We're too busy chasing our dreams. We're too busy chasing the girl who sits in class next to us. We're too busy chasing after so many other things that Jesus falls way, way down the list. Even us here, sitting here at Ash Wednesday, you know, the faithful Christians who come to church extra during a week and are willing to walk around with ashes on our foreheads. Even those of us sitting in this room who will receive our first communion tonight, which is such an exciting and intimate thing, and I know you're excited about that. But here's what I know, that for so many of us, Jesus is just one pursuit among so many other pursuits. And I've got to tell you, that's not going to work. It's not going to give you the life that you want. It's not going to give you the fullness that you want. It will never give you the value that you want. It will never give you what you think it will. And meanwhile, those things that you chase after, they won't give you what you believe they will either. See, so many of us pursue Jesus as an add-on. And that just leaves us empty. But God doesn't want you to be empty. He wants you to be full. And that's why he sent Jesus into the world. So that by pursuing Jesus, you could have the one thing, hear me on this, you could have the one thing that leads to every other thing that you truly need. See, that's what this journey called Lent is all about. It's not just 40 days leading up to a holiday. It's not just a a, a sacred day on the church calendar. That's not what Lent is all about. Lent is an opportunity to pursue Jesus. Not to pursue facts about Jesus. Not to just learn the narrative of Jesus better. Lent is a time that's been given to us to pursue the one who holds the keys to everything else. 
It's this crazy time where, where in, in life where we get caught up in so many other pursuits, we can push back, we can say no, and we can begin to pursue him first and hardest and best. And we can begin to discover that truly through him, there's everything that we need. So tonight, that's what I want to pray for for us. Regardless of, of, of who you are, and that's what I want to pray for myself, that that we would have the heart and the desire and the appetite to pursue Jesus in sincerity, with passion, above every other pursuit in our lives. Not just so that we can like claim to be more pious or religious than the people sitting around us, but because truly through Jesus, that is the key, that is the doorway. Just like with Solomon and wisdom, he is wisdom for us and he is the key to everything else that you need. He's the key to life and forgiveness, and worth, and love, and purpose. That's what I want to pray tonight, is that God would somehow, by his spirit, give us the will to pursue Jesus more than anything else. So you please stand with me as we pray. Father, I thank you that you did not show up at our bedside and ask us for whatever we wanted. Because God, I know in my life, I would ask for the wrong thing. And I would end up with this, this whole gift backfiring on me. And, and, and God, I thank you that, that you, you just dummy-proof this thing for 